Welcome back to the Farm Credit Advocates Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Webster, Content and Digital Marketing Strategist at Mid-Atlantic Farm Credit. Before we jump into today's interview, I want to bring you all up to speed on our plans for the podcast going into 2022 and beyond. Today's episode will be the last one of 2021. Since May of 2020, we've been sharing at least two episodes a month, which is both fun and exhausting. We want to make sure that we're providing the content you want to hear when you want to hear it, so we're going to take a break to recenter and plan some new content for 2022. What does this mean? Glad you asked. You'll want to stay subscribed to this channel to make sure that you continue to get all of our new episodes when we relaunch in early 2022. Our name will stay the same, but you may see some new cover art. You'll definitely see some new topics and guests, and new episodes will drop on Wednesdays rather than Mondays. Don't forget, you can sign up for email alerts about the podcast at mafc.com slash podcast. And if you have a suggestion for a guest or topic, email us at podcast at mafc.com. That's it for now. Thank you so much for being a listener, and we can't wait to advocate with you in the new year. Now, back to our regularly scheduled programming. Have you noticed that the holiday season seems to get earlier and earlier each year? Even though you can start the overwhelming process of shopping for gifts earlier, one thing that thankfully stays the same is when we can start to look for our perfect Christmas tree. I think this is definitely my favorite part of decorating for the holiday season. My husband, Michael, and I rearrange the living room. We make way for the tree. We get out our ornaments, and we set the scene before we head out to our local market in search of the perfect tree. Then we bring the tree home. We pour ourselves a glass or two of eggnog, and we get to work really lighting up the tree and getting it, you know, just perfect. And I'm excited for our interview today because I'm hoping our guests can give us some practical tips and tricks to make the most of our beloved Christmas tree this year. So today's guest is one of our very own, Ryan Klaus. Ryan is a loan officer in our Winchester, Virginia office and has been with Farm Credit for over 22 years. Although he's well-versed in ag, obviously, from his career, Ryan's expertise with Christmas trees was grown at the family farm at Klaus's Pine Hill Farm. And their family Christmas tree farm has been uh, making the holidays magical for over 40 years. So he's got lots of experience in this, and we're super excited to talk to him today. Thanks for joining me today, Ryan. Can you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, maybe about your role with Farm Credit and uh, what your background in ag is? Sure. And my role here at Farm Credit has been as a loan officer in the Valley region, serving the Martinsburg, Winchester, and Woodstock offices over the years. It's been primarily, again, as a loan officer, uh, serving the rural home and the part-time ag communities and dealing some with the uh, secondary market responses over the year. So it's been here with Farm Credit for over 20 years. Obviously, with work, you have a a really solid background in ag, but can you tell us a little bit about your family's farming business? Sure. So I was born and raised in the Winchester area, spent the whole time here working on my family, had cattle, raised hogs and corn for a while until we finally settled on the Christmas tree industry. It was one that there was a growing need for Christmas trees in the area and is one that uh, we had some experience with the neighbors planting some Christmas trees as an FFA project on the property and found that it worked uh, pretty well as far as our 
lifestyle and just uh, we were always uh, more of a plant-based agriculture than the livestock-based. So how long have you guys been like all in on growing Christmas trees? Klaus's Pine Hill Farm started in 1977. So it's been in existence for close to 45 years. My parents, Ron and Roberta Klaus, started it at that time. And then my brother and I have been a part of it. And then our my wife and kids have been part of it over the years doing different components of the business. So your kids are also um, interested in kind of continuing that maybe? They're all about uh, helping sell the Christmas trees during that time of the year and showing folks around and introducing them to the tree. They're at a point where uh, they have involvement in other school activities and they'll be heading off to college pretty soon. So it's going to be more a matter of when they get out of college to see how they uh, respond to this. They, they like living on the farm and having access to seeing the deer and all the other things that like to eat our Christmas trees, but it is something that we certainly like the great outdoors. And as we've seen here in the past couple of years, having that free space has been huge for our family and uh, also for our customers to come out and enjoy that time. So I, I can imagine that being a very magical kind of experience growing up on a Christmas tree farm, especially around the holidays. But I also recognize that it's a business that really needs to be managed. What was it like growing up on a Christmas tree farm? My involvement uh, with the Christmas trees really focused a lot on the shearing and the mowing and then the harvesting and selling of the trees. Because that's something that I guess it was probably when I was eight years old was really uh, first involved in taking part of the, the shearing process. It's just something that you do on any farm, like you're uh, tagging around with your parents and they're doing something. So you want to pick up what they're doing. And that was the first time that we were involved. And it's something that you get a, a better sense for what it takes to uh, be involved in that when you're there side by side. Because it is something, uh, there's a lot involved in the trees aside from the shearing and the mowing and the selling. And that's something that uh, we found uh, over the years as far as folks trying to get into the business, that it, it does take more time and effort than a lot of folks realize. And hence, you see that Christmas trees is not something that's a huge growing industry. It's something that it's a pretty steady business overall in the United States. And it is something that we see more demand for it. So you got to meet the supply and demand. So at some point we see that the Christmas tree business will continue to pick up some new farms as people enjoy that great outdoor experience. So I've heard that there's been some really neat innovations in plant breeding for um, like a more pungent smell of the tree or like a different kind of smell or maybe different like shades. You know, what have you noticed that has changed over the years when it comes to how the public picks out their Christmas trees? Like what kinds of trends do you see? The fur species as a whole has gained a lot more popularity due to its strong needle holding capabilities and the scent has been another positive. The innovation for them has really been more of the introducing varieties that grow well in your environment. So there's a lot of specifics going on in the breeding, just say this plant grows well in this climate or it grows well in this uh, subclimate there on an individual farm. So that's what we're finding 
um, individuals are trying to pick the best of the best and then grow those plants as future uh, seed stock. And that's what you're seeing as far as the overall trend in the industry. Yeah, you mentioned some uh, new innovations. There are some items out there right now they're doing, um, trying to use some technology to improve the scent through some modifications on the genetic level, but that's going to be for the for the actual grower. That's going to be a few years off. I mean, you're looking at a Christmas tree that takes 10 years to grow. So then you have to find the best species and then start to take the better plants of that species for your environment. So it's, it's a process that is not um, going to happen overnight. It's not like your soybean and your corn, which you can get some of those genetics uh, in process in four or five renovations, four or five years. So there's a much longer, longer timeline here. So why is it important to buy a real tree? I know there are lots of opinions around like whether you have a fake tree or a real tree, but um, I really want to talk about why is it important to buy a real tree? We find in agriculture, it's a lot about connecting where your food's coming from, where your fiber's coming from. And it's something that with the Christmas tree experience, you're putting folks in an area where it's a wide open space. It's something where they can go and run and spend a whole lot of time with their family together. But when they take that home and set it up, there are going to be a lot of conversations about, well, did you see how this person cut down the tree and fell on top of them? Or they just saw this tree, but the whole family couldn't enjoy it. They couldn't pick it out. And then they ultimately ended up buying the first one when they saw it out of the car. So it's a lot of the experience. And that's what we find is, is important to everyone because it's, it, it gets that emotional um, attraction, emotional tie to that area. I did a little bit of, of research before we talked. I like the keep it real campaign that, uh, that I came across a couple of times and they kind of talk about, you know, that local connection and, and knowing your farmer, but also, um, the sustainability and like the environmental benefits of of the real tree. Can you speak to any of those kinds of factors? Sure. Well, that's that's something just as with other types of agriculture, we are proponents of the sustainability. We want to see the soil, the water be as healthy as possible. And that's something when you have trees on the ground to help with the erosion, when you have those trees, we're talking about the carbon footprints and trying to sequester carbon. Well, there's nothing better than having a Christmas tree and the grass that's growing underneath of it as helping with that process. And it's something that is providing an ecosystem for all of the other animals that are there, the deer, the rabbits, squirrels, anything that's in that area. You have a lot of other insects, beneficial insects that are in their area. So it's something that we overall just want to focus that when you can come out and see that environment in its natural state, you're getting a sense of what it takes to make that happen. And we think that folks, when they see that, it's just going back to making that emotional tie. It's something that they have and they want to continue that tradition say, hey, I'm helping out the family farm. I want to keep my dollars local. And something at our farm, we've had folks coming for 20 years. They brought their kids. Now they were empty nesters for a while. And now they're coming back and bringing their grandkids. And it's neat to see 
just the generations of the family coming out to enjoy that environment. I was excited for this interview for a couple reasons. Uh, going to pick out my tree each year is really probably one of my favorite things that we do every Christmas. The first year, we didn't actually have a truck to get it home with, so I was able to fit it in the trunk of my Ford Taurus, and uh, it was just very, it was pretty funny, you know, my my now husband and I trying to trying to get this tree into my trunk and have it fit without falling out the entire way home was one of my favorite memories. So what tips do you have for us to pick out a solid, healthy tree that's going to last long through the season? Like, what should we look for in that perfect tree? Well, the the color of the tree is going to give a good indication of the health of that plant. So whether you're picking it from a choose and cut operation or you're doing a pre-cut operation, you can tell if it's a good, strong, uh, healthy green. Sometimes there's a a bluish tint, depending on the variety. But that's the first thing that you want to look at. And then you can check the the needle holding, uh, bending the limbs and just see if it bends and springs back. That's a good sign that the tree is properly hydrated. And that's that's the key to any tree's success as far as making sure that it has ample water to hold in the stand. And that's something uh, years and years ago, you'd see these red and green tree stands, metal tree stands, and they held a five, six, seven foot tree. That's not sufficient. You really need to have a stand that's holding about a gallon worth of water because when you get some of these larger trees, they'll go through two, three quarts a day uh, as they're acclimating to the warmth of the house. That makes a lot of sense to me, you know, making sure that they're well hydrated and and making sure that color looks good. I know when I look for mine, I, I try to look for one that's pretty full. I think that's probably a, a preference, you know, a personal preference. But, um, you know, once we've picked that that perfect tree and we're ready to take it home, What's the best way to keep it alive and looking good all season long? The absolute number one key to keeping that tree looking the best all year long is the water. Um, In our house, I'm the designated tree waterer. And every morning when I get up, I check the water because the first week or so, that tree will have an insatiable appetite for water. So it's something that making sure that you're checking is if that water uh, goes dry, if that tree loses all the water, like you've uh, gone out of town over the weekend, didn't have adequate water in there, that trunk has a sap layer that uh, forms and it will not take up any more water. So that's the key, absolute number one way to ensure the survival of that tree. And it's something that keeping it out of the direct sunlight and keeping it in a cooler part of the house, i.e. not directly by a wood stove or your furnace or just even by a vent is the best way because it's something, depending on the size of that tree, the the bigger trees are generally going to hold more water and have more resistance. But if you're getting these smaller or sometimes tabletop trees, they can uh, don't have as much moisture and they're going to dry out quicker. That makes sense. That makes sense. So pick a good spot for it, you know, where it's going to stay a little bit cooler out of the sun, give it lots of water, make sure he's got plenty of it. Is there 
anything that we definitely shouldn't do. Like, I feel like sometimes they sell like the packages of like nutrients that you can put in with the water. Does that actually make a difference or is that something we could probably skip on? Good old H2O is the best thing for it. We've done a few research. My daughter did a project for a science fair and we tried some things out and we did not see a big difference between those, if at all. So it's something that if you're saying use aspirin or use some of those uh, extra uh, packets that you can throw in sugars, other things that we've heard, they may help, but not any more than using water and making sure that they're maintained. The only thing that I've seen that has had a huge difference is putting ice in the water and keeping the cooler ice. I had uh, sold a tree to a local barber shop, and this was a 15-foot Douglas fir. And every time I go and check it every couple of weeks, there were no branches that were dry. There were no needles underground. So it's something in checking the branches. It was huge, and I was like, "Well, that's that's got to be because of the ice water." And to date, he's still had great success with that method. Wow, that's awesome! I'm gonna have to try that this year. That's a new one. I I haven't heard of that one. Like I said before, I think there are a lot of reasons that people choose uh, not to keep it real or to go the real option. And besides being traumatized by uh, Chevy Chase's experiences in Christmas Vacation. Um, the most popular complaint I have heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, is about like bringing bugs into the house with the tree. And I feel like it might be kind of an old wives tale, but I wanted to ask you, is that, is that a real thing? Like a real fear with Christmas trees or is that kind of a, kind of a myth? There are insects in the trees. That's just part of, that's their habitat. So when you're coming out of there, like we mentioned, some of the beneficial insects, in that whole environment, we have uh, praying mantis are in some areas. Spiders are present in the areas. And when we harvest the tree and we shake them out, we try to get all the old needles out and anything else that's in their bird's nest, we find those quite frequently. We do pull out those items that we can see. But when you're talking about an eight-foot tree that's really thick, it's hard to get in and try to pull every single non-needle or non-branch item out of there. But it is something that I've heard of spiders coming out. One time somebody mentioned about a praying mantis, but that was something they held it in their house. You, you have to get the house warm enough and the tree in the house long enough for that to happen. So it is something we're not going to say it's never happened, but it is something we think that's part of the whole flair of having a Christmas tree. So when you have those items happen, you're going to I'll talk about them over the Thanksgiving dinner and the Fourth of July dinner and say, hey, remember when that happened? And we're looking forward to another experience like that this year. I'm not a big spider fan. I'm sure most people are. I, I would imagine most people are not. I'm not sure if I'd rather have like the squirrel from Christmas vacation or if I want spiders. Um, I think <laughs> both of them could be equally traumatizing. <laughs> but uh Okay, so after the holiday season is over, how do you recommend getting rid of the real tree? Is there like one recycling option that's better than others? Well, the important thing is for it not to go into the landfill because it is carbon. It's something that uh, if you chip it up or if you let it uh, degrade on its own as like wildlife habitat, those are things that have a positive benefit to the 
environment. And it is something that we're all about uh, making sure that what we take out of the ground, what we uh, use in growing it, we can put it back as quickly as possible and as best as possible. And that's something that with the Christmas tree uh, itself, if you were to leave it on your own, it's going to break down. It's just going to uh, take a little bit longer, but that's where finding neighbor's farm or even just uh, keeping it in your backyard till the summertime and having people put peanut butter or popcorn or just different things on that tree for the birds and other wildlife to enjoy. I love that option. Um, well, this has been super helpful. I really appreciate all of your tips and tricks, and I'm excited to try that ice water trick. Um, I'm definitely going to measure and see how that kind of turns out. But um, in closing out this episode, I was thinking we could do kind of a fun holiday edition of our uh, this or that game. What do you think? Sure. Go for it. Awesome. So I'm going to give you two options and I want you to pick one, um, your favorite or what you think is the best without any explanation. So let's go ahead and get started. So for the Christmas tree, colored lights or white lights? White. Awesome. Me too. Uh, for Christmas tree ornaments, do we do a color themed ornaments or ones that you collect each year? Ones we collect each year. We do kind of a combination of the both, but I, I like that. Uh, for the yard, do we go with big fun blow up decorations or some of the classics like the manger scene or the deer in the spotlights? Neither, because we're too busy making memories for our customers. <laughs> That's a good answer. That's a good answer. <laughs> um, Christmas cookies or pie? Cookies. Good choice. I agree. And last but not least, gift bags or wrapping paper? Wrapping paper still. Yep. Yep. 100%. You have to enjoy ripping the wrapping paper off, right? It's just not the same with a bag. You got it. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thanks so much for uh, for your time today. This has been really helpful and a lot of fun. We do one sign-off question with each of our guests, and um, I want to give you the opportunity to give us your, your thoughts on this as well. What do you advocate for in agriculture? Agriculture is a lifestyle. It's something that keeps our community vibrant. And without, I mean, we talk about the food and fiber keeping it local around here. It's important, especially on businesses such as Christmas trees and orchards that you get to know your farmer so they can tell the story about what's what's it take to make these trees and make these apples, anything else that's in that area. So it's, it's huge that we remember that buying local sustains that individual farm and then it sustains many other support industries in that area. So build those memories and buy local. Thank you again for your time, Ryan. This has been awesome. And thank you to everybody out there listening. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, make sure you rate, review, subscribe, and uh, take a screenshot and share it with a friend. You can get all of the podcast notes for this episode and other episodes at mafc.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to help us plan for 2022, uh, you can email us at podcast at mafc.com. Send us any topics or guest suggestions that you'd like us to cover into the new year. But um, thanks again for listening. We hope you have a happy and safe holiday season. We'll see you in 2022.